I remember when I was a kid, I think it was a Christmas one year, and I have a younger brother, and his name's Wes. And Wes and I are really different. And uh, he is the adventurous type, you know, the, the type to, to jump in and ask questions later. You know, maybe that's you, maybe that's, you know, some, one of your friends. But he's the, the, the younger brother that was never afraid of anything, never afraid of adventure, never afraid of trying something new. And so I remember one Christmas, I don't remember, even remember how old I was. I was probably like nine or 10. He was six, seven, eight. And he got a dirt bike for Christmas, a little PW50. It's a little Yamaha. Any of you guys know that? Any of you motorcycle people? Awesome, four of you. This is great, and um, and so he got this little PW50, and you know he's just smooth on it. He puts his little helmet on. He's so cute, and he just knows how to drive it. You know people like that that just from a young age they just they know how to operate machinery. They're good at it, and so like an amazing younger brother. Like I have so much respect for him now that I have kids, and I know how selfish kids are. He offers to let me ride his dirt bike, right? Which you know is a huge thing. And so my dad looks at me, and he's like you know what you're doing? And I'm like, absolutely, dad. Like, you know, of course I got this. Like we grew up on a farm, grew up with four wheelers. And so I was super comfortable on four wheels. Um, Two wheels is a different situation. And so, you know, I get on and I don't know if you know this about dirt bikes, but dirt bikes are a little bit different than four wheelers. A four wheeler has a thumb throttle. So in order for it to go forward, you, you hit the thumb throttle and it goes a dirt bike. Do you know how you make a dirt bike go forward? Four people who have dirt bikes, someone answer. You twist it, yeah. And so I get on this dirt bike thinking like it's a four-wheeler and I'm pulling back and all of a sudden this thing just takes off and, and it, it takes off uh, through the bushes, right, in our house and, and I'm dodging bushes, I almost hit the house and I'm just trying to get this thing under control going through my yard and I finally get the thing stopped and my dad's just loving it, right, because... He knows, like, you had no idea what you're doing. You're so overconfident. And, and I was just kind of thinking about the, the, the reality that, that, that powerful things in life, we are both drawn to them and repelled by them. That the powerful things in life, we, we are both, like, captivated. We want them. We want to be close to them. And, and we also, at the same time, we're pushed away from them. I think about this time several years ago, Courtney and I took our kids to Mont Eagle for a few days. We were just going to go hiking, be outside, and... We went to this park. I don't remember the name of the park, but we, we get out of the car and it's just this big open field. And around the field, there's this, there's this big trail and it's, you know, had been treaded on. And so there's a walking path that you can see and, and it's surrounded by trees and it's just surrounded by brush. And so, you know, we get to the, this trailhead and our kids are like, hey, can we, can we run on ahead? And Court and I, you know, we look out and it's just this big open field. We're like, absolutely go for it. And so, you know, Finley, our oldest daughter, Jones, our son, and Merritt, our, our daughter, they take off running. And the thing that, you know, I see, I see two things happening simultaneously. One is out of the corner of my eye, I see three white beasts running out of the forest, out of the woods. And then I look and I see my kids that were once running that way, now running towards us with the most fear-inducing look I've ever seen on their faces in life. And, and, and they are running back at us and they're like, wolves, wolves. And, and, and it, honestly, it kind of looked like wolves that were coming out. And there were these three giant Great Pyrenees, white dogs, if you know what they are. But for my kids who were not expecting anything, you know, they're running out. And then all of a sudden to see these three white beasts and, and, and they're terrified. And my kids love watching wolves. They love watching it on TV, right? There's something about the powerful that we're, we're drawn to, but also repelled from. And, you know, this summer we are I'm in a teaching series that we're called 
experiencing Jesus, where, where each week we're looking at a different aspect of the personality of Jesus. And so last week, Dave used this really beautiful image of a mosaic, how every week what we're doing is we're looking at an individual picture, just a small piece of Jesus' life, so that comprehensively we get to see this, this mosaic, this fullness of who Jesus is. And only when we see all these little pieces do we get a full understanding of who Jesus is. To simply hone in on one part is to deny other parts. And so what we're trying to do is, as a church family, go, man, let's look at every part of who he is. And so if you remember the first week, we talked about this fun, lighthearted side of Jesus where this, um, Jesus tells Peter to go fishing, that in order to, to pay his and Peter's taxes, he says, I want you to go fishing and you're going to find money in the fish's mouth. And you see just the playfulness of Jesus. The second week, the mosaic we looked at, Aaron got up and he talked about the vulnerability of Jesus, how when Jesus came into this world that he created, he didn't keep the guard up and he didn't keep people at arm's length, that he let people in on the real him, on his feelings, on his heart. And then we talked about Jesus, that, that he wants us to come to him with all of our weariness and all of our burdens, and that he promises that if we will come to him, what he will give to us is rest. And then last week, we looked at the little mosaic of of what Jesus wants to do is that he, he, he knows that, that most of us, there's, there are places of pain in our past that we keep hiding, we keep avoiding, and Jesus wants to go right to those places of pain, not to hurt us, but so that he can set us free to live into the destiny that God created us for. And this morning, what we're gonna be looking at, the little mosaic, is the power of Jesus. You know, I love Luke chapter eight because it just trumpets the power of Jesus in all three stories. And so the first story is the calming of the storm and the sea. And so Jesus is asleep in the boat and the storm starts stirring. It says the waves are breaking over the sides of the boat and, and the rain's coming down and the disciples wake up and they say, Jesus, we're gonna drown. And Jesus stands up and he rebukes the wind and the waves and everything goes completely calm. And it's an amazing story of the power of Jesus. The next story is, is Jesus essentially goes to a, a graveyard where this man who is possessed by the enemy has been driven away from people, living this isolated, lonely life, and, and, and no one could help him, and, and says that Jesus showed up in an instant, did for this man what no one else could do by driving the fullness of the enemy and the darkness and evil far away from him. And I love the power that we see in Jesus' life, but we're not going to deal with either one of those stories this morning. The story that we're going to look at is a story of when Jesus healed two different people in one day. And here's what I want us to do this morning. I encourage you to pull out your phone, to take notes, to journal, to pay attention to the thing. There are four movements. And I want you to just encourage you, hey, where is the Holy Spirit inviting you this morning to take a step? And so the first movement, you know, in order to experience the fullness of Jesus and his power, the first thing that we see is there must be a personal connection with Jesus. A personal connection. Starting in verse 40 of Luke chapter 8, it says, Now when Jesus returned, returned from where? Returned from, from calming the storm on the sea, returning from driving the demons out of the man. When Jesus returned, it says, A crowd welcomed him, for they were all expecting him. Then a man named Jairus, a synagogue leader, came and he fell at Jesus' feet, pleading with him to come to his house because his only daughter, a girl of about 12, was dying. And as Jesus was on his way, the crowds almost crushed him. This is Luke chapter eight, page 706, if you're using one of our Bibles. You know, I was thinking about this story and trying to picture what it would be like to be in this moment. And, and the reality is, it is one thing to stand at a distance and admire Jesus from far away. 
And it's a completely different thing to be up close, to have a personal interaction, connection with Jesus himself. You see, this is a thing that you see all throughout scripture that it will talk about the crowds and the crowds are not always bad. Sometimes the crowds are really good things, but, but so often what happens is that you see the crowds shows up and they're interested in the show. They're interested in admiring Jesus from a distance and there's no interest in getting close to him, being personally touched by Jesus. And you think about this, for Jesus, he was such a spectacle. Like, you know that his teaching was so engaging. There's a story in scripture that says that there was a time where people listened to Jesus teach for three days. Could you imagine listening to someone teach for three days? <laughs> it's an engaging person. It's captivating. He drew you in. It wasn't that Jesus was just an engaging speaker. He lived this engaging life where, where crowds would come and so often he, he was filled with compassion. He would feel, he would feed crowds of people. We know of two different times that Jesus did this. You think about this, you showed up to hear a sermon and you get fed a meal, you weren't even expecting it, how awesome is that? You know, Jesus, he, he wasn't just this dynamic speaker and this person who, who, who fed for and cared for the, the, the tangible needs of people, he healed people. You think about the crowd getting to watch Jesus heal people. And the temptation was for people to, to admire Jesus from a distance but Jesus never wanted to be admired from a distance. He never intended for you and I just to stand off and to talk about how awesome he is through someone else's experience, that Jesus came and his intention was that you and I would have a personal connection with him. And we know that because of the way that Jesus lived. Do you know that every time in scripture, when, when someone made their way through the crowd to get to Jesus, he always welcomed them. That he never rebuked people who wanted to be close to him. You know, you, you discover a lot about what matters to people, not by what they say, but by what they do. Right? My neighbor, he, he offers all the time, hey, I've got this big F-150. If you ever need anything, holler. I'll come help you anything you need. And it's one thing for, for, for my neighbor to blow smoke. And it's another thing for a couple weeks ago where I'm like, Hey man, I need to, to go to Lowe's. Can you help? And he's like, I'll be there. And we had this tree that fell down and got caught in between another tree. And he's like, Hey, if you ever need help with that, let me know. So he comes over, he hooks his truck up and he pulls the tree down. And I'm like, oh, I want a truck so bad. Like <laughs> my Camry cannot do that. Like and, and, and I'm just watching this, this difference between someone who, who, who says things and someone who does things. And the thing that you see through Jesus is over and over and over again is that when people push through the crowds because they want to be close to him, he always welcomes them in. He rewards people, not rebukes people for getting close to him. And I wonder how many people in the crowd that day had a need had something very similar to what Jairus was going through, but they didn't have the courage to step through the crowd. They were scared, right? What happens when you get close to Jesus? He might ask you to do something uncomfortable. He might ask you to lay something aside. He might ask you to do something. And so many of us were scared to take that step with Jesus. And so we stay in the crowd when the whole time we were made to be close to Jesus. And Jairus models for us. He shows us what Jesus does when you and I are not content to stay in the crowd, admiring Jesus from a distance. How we say, we want your power to touch our lives. First movement, if you want to experience the power of Jesus, there has to be a personal connection with Jesus. The second movement, 
we want to experience his power is that we must move with Jesus, listen to this, at his pace. Verse 43. It says, a woman was there in the crowd who'd been subject to bleeding for 12 years. But no one could heal her. Think about that. She came up behind Jesus and she touched the edge of his cloak and immediately her bleeding stopped. Who touched me? Jesus asked. When they all denied it, Peter said, Master, the people are crowding and pressing against you. And I want you to see this for, for Jairus. And so there are two different scenes going on here, right? And so Jairus, excuse me, Jairus comes and there's progress being made in his life. Think about the day that he's having. His daughter is dying. And so he hears that Jesus is in town. He, he gets up and he, and he makes his way to, to where Jesus is and he sees this huge crowd and he doesn't let the crowd stand in his way. You can just imagine him working his way through the crowd. It's not that hard to get to Jesus. He works his way through the crowd and, and he tells Jesus about his daughter who is dying and Jesus doesn't go, it's no big deal. One day I'm gonna return and raise her. And he doesn't look at Jairus and say, hey, just suck it up. A lot of people are hurting around you. No, he stops and he goes with him. And can you imagine what that was like for Jairus to wake up and to be like, the son of God is walking with me. <laughs> he just left the crowd for me. And you can just imagine the hope. You can imagine the excitement in his eyes as he's heard the things that Jesus has done. He knows what he's capable. He knows what is coming for his daughter. And then this woman stops him. And I want you to understand this. There's no indication that Jairus is frustrated. You don't see that in the text anywhere. He's not mad about this woman. I want you to think about this though. Have, have you ever noticed how so often in life there are something hard in your life and you come to Jesus and there, and there seems to be progress and then something happens and it stalls. Jairus is moving towards his house and then this woman stops. They're stalling. I wonder if he goes, oh man, but my daughter's sick. It's, it's, it's happening fast. And is Jesus gonna forget about this? Is he gonna get swamped up by the, the needs of the crowd? And, and, and I love this because what you learn about Jesus is that so often when it seems that he is stalling, he's showing us something. I remember several years ago, there was many years ago, just um, an issue in my family, some real conflict. Two people in my family that didn't want to be around each other were really at odds. A lot of hate, a lot of frustration, a lot of bitterness, a lot of pain. And I remember um, the, the, the Saturday that I graduated from college and I remember my family getting together and these two people who were at odds wanted nothing to do with each other that, that, that one of them invited the other to come to lunch with us, their family. And you see, up to this point for years, I've been praying for reconciliation, for healing, and, and, and all of a sudden, man, we're sitting at lunch, and I'm seeing these two people who, who didn't want to be around each other at all, sitting there, and not just sitting there, being kind to each other. And I'm seeing progress. And then it's, it seemed to stalled since. We learn to move with Jesus at his pace. We can't control Jesus, right? Um. We, we, we don't control Jesus, and that's a good thing. We can't make Jesus do what we want, especially on our own time. And I want to just encourage us, man. Um, 
We, and we know this, okay, but we need to be reminded sometimes we don't see everything that's going on in the world. You ever been in a conversation where you were just so convinced that you were right? You were so convinced that you had the facts right, and then some evidence comes, and it's like, dang it, I wasn't right. We don't have the perspective that God does. And that can do two things. It can drive us crazy. Man, when, when things aren't going our way, when, when things have stalled, when, when we're seeing progress, but it doesn't seem to be moving forward, we can, we can try to control God. We can try to get frustrated at God and mad at God. We can try to, to worry and stress our way through it. Or, man, we can have our eyes open and go, God, what are you trying to show me right now in the stalling? You know, for Jairus, I wonder how impactful it was. Because you know he was just zoned in on his daughter. You know his heart was just for her. And then to learn that there's a woman also in the crowd who'd been suffering for 12 years. Have you ever noticed how you can just get so in your head with your own stuff? Man, I just, you know, I, I, I gotta get this job thing situated. Or... Man, my, my friends, like I've just got to find a best friend or I've got to find a spouse or my, my, my kids are running from God or my marriage is in a rough place. And have you ever noticed how, how you just get fixed on one things? And, and that's not even a bad thing to, to pray about those things. But have you ever noticed how what happens is that you can forget about the rest of the world? You forget that other people are going through things. You know, this past week I was up at the hospital visiting Garrett and I'm sitting there and, I'm, and my heart is just devastated looking at my friend just sitting there. And I'm praying for him and I'm asking God, would you, would you heal him? And I'm praying for Kelly and I'm praying for the boys and my heart is just all over the place and I look up, you know what I see? Rooms, beds all over the room with people that are in the trauma ICU. And I'm like, oh yeah, there are a lot of people hurting right now. And you ever been there? And I go, man, when, when, when things are not going at your pace, when there's a stall, let your prayer be, God, what are you trying to show me? To experience the, the power of Jesus, we move with Jesus at his pace. The third thing that we, we must learn and we must embrace if we are going to experience the power of Jesus is that we must move from a private belief to a public declaration. Verse 46, Jesus said, someone touch me. I know the power has gone out from me. Then the woman, seeing that she could not go unnoticed, she came trembling. She fell at his feet. And in the presence of all the people, she told why she had touched him and how she had been healed instantly. And he said to her, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace. This is a pretty spectacular moment. You ever been in a crowd? Concert, shoulder, shoulder, maybe in a show here, and, and you can't move, and it feels like everybody's touching you. And I love this moment. Jesus says, power left my body. <laughs> like, What? Who touched me? And Peter's like, Jesus, everybody touched you. Like, literally everybody. And, you know, there's this woman. This, this woman who wanted just to kind of sneak in. She didn't want to draw attention to herself. This is her worst nightmare, right? Some of you, you love the stage. You love the lights. Others of you, you don't want anyone to even know your name, right? Like, you're just, and, and, and this is, and this is this woman, she's, she's, she's 
she's quiet. She's trying not to draw any attention to herself. This is the thing she's trying to avoid. She's trying to be anonymous. She's trying to be hidden. Jesus says, who touched me? The woman knows that she can't just slide out. And there's an interesting detail. It says that the woman came trembling Jesus' feet. Why? Because she didn't fully know Jesus. She knew he was powerful. She had, she had heard about his, his power. Man, but the fact that she was scared to be in his presence, let's, it lets us know, it cues us in that there were some inaccurate beliefs in her head about who Jesus is. Why would you be scared of the one who died for you? Why would you be scared to come into his presence? Why would you be scared? And I love this because Jesus, what we see in him is that he doesn't just want to heal her broken body. Jesus wants to heal her broken understanding of who he is. I love that the woman faced her fear. Could you imagine standing up and telling the whole crowd? That's what she did. She declared what Jesus had just done. I've been, I've been bleeding for 12 years. I've been living in isolation. I've been living in fear. And I, and, and I just thought if I could touch your, your jacket, I would be healed. And, and so I worked my way through the crowd and I touched your jacket and instantly I was healed. This woman who's wanting to be hidden, all of a sudden, pretty courageous. And I love what Jesus says to her. He looks at her and he says, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace. You know, the reality is that she probably didn't feel much like a daughter to God. It says that for 12 years she'd, she'd been bleeding, which means that for 12 years she couldn't go into the temple. Could you imagine not going to church for 12 years? Think about where you were 12 years ago. Joe, where were you 12 years ago? Indiana, what were you doing? Nothing. <laughs> doing nothing with your life. <laughs> Lauren, what were you doing 12 years ago? 21 and in college. Yeah, think about 12 years ago and not being able to step in church for 12 years. What would you believe about God? What would you believe about yourself? And I love Jesus. He speaks worth over the woman, calling her daughter. Ooh, yeah, daughter. Wait, me? Yeah, you. Daughter. He affirms her. He affirms her faith. And I want you to see this, okay? Yeah, there were some inaccurate beliefs that needed to be dealt with. But catch this. Jesus does not draw attention to those in front of everyone. He does not draw attention to the, the, the thing that's off in her. What does he do? In the public places, he highlights the things that he loves. And it doesn't mean that he doesn't deal with those things. But in front of the crowd... He holds her up. He doesn't want her faith to go unnoticed. In fact, he wants everyone to see what he sees in her, which is a rich, deep faith. And I love this because Jesus, man, Jesus was, he was willing to let her face her fears. He was willing to let her feel uncomfortable for a moment. Why? So she could be fully free forever. Body, mind. Man, what if Jesus didn't call her out that day? 
What if she would have just slid through the crowd, touched him, been healed, gone on with the rest of her life? Do you think that, that she ever would have come to a point where, where she questioned, man, did healing really come? You know, I remember talking to a guy uh, many years ago who God did a, a supernatural healing in his life. I saw it with my own eyes. This guy was in pain. We prayed. God showed up in an instant and did something that has forever stood in my heart. And I was talking to this guy several years later and he was kind of talking like, yeah, I remember that time. And, and he was like, you know, when I had pain and I was going, bro, God healed you in that moment. And there's something about our, our lives so often that, that, that when, if, if we don't mark the moments, if we don't declare, God, you did something here, man, the enemy comes and he steals it. And he makes it think that it was something less. And I love this because Jesus is wanting to mark this moment so this woman can be free in body and mind. And I love it because Jesus called out, but he didn't call her out. Okay, he didn't say, hey, you, Hey, Zuri. Hey, Jonathan. Hey, Matthew. No, he says, someone touch me. He called. He called to the private places, the, the place of her heart, but she had to respond. He wasn't going to force her. It was on her to respond. In order to experience the power of Jesus, we must move from this place of, of private belief to public declaration. You did this. You're my God. There's something about bringing it into the public that does something, that changes something, that marks it. And the, for, the fourth movement, if we're going to experience the power of Jesus, is that we must move with Jesus even in our pain. Verse 49. While Jesus was still speaking, someone came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue leader. Your daughter is dead. Don't bother the teacher anymore. Whoa. Imagine the weight of that moment. It's among the worst news that you could hear, right? Hearing this, hearing that the daughter is dead, Jesus said to Jairus, don't be afraid. Just believe she'll be healed. When Jesus arrived at the house of Jairus, he did not let anyone go in with him except Peter, John, and James, and the child's father and mother. Meanwhile, all the people were wailing and mourning for her. Stop wailing. She's not dead but asleep. But they laughed at him, knowing that she was dead. But he took her by the hand and said, my child, or another gospel says, my daughter, get up. Her spirit returned, and at once she stood up. Then Jesus told them to give her something to eat. Her parents were astonished. Do you notice the difference in what the person in Jairus' house said to Jairus and what Jesus said? Jairus' friend or servant in his house, whoever it was, comes to him and they said, tragedies come, leave Jesus alone. You're just bothering Jesus at this point. The answer was no, Jairus. And you got up and, and you worked your way through the crowd and you got to Jesus, but the answer is no. There's nothing else you can do. There's nothing else that he can do. And guys, it's not even all bad. I'm giving the, this guy the benefit of the doubt. He's like, man, Jesus, you've got a lot to do. We'll take care of the morning. You know, it's clear that your answer was no. We'll, we'll, we'll love on him. 
And I love Jesus' response. Don't be afraid. Just believe she'll be healed. You know, and the tension that I've been living in this week is, man, is this a story of every time tragedy comes? Like, is, is this the word that Jesus speaks to us? Don't be afraid. Just believe. It'll all be healed. And I don't think that's the message that we're supposed to take away. I don't think every time something hard happens in our life, tragedy strikes, Jesus says, don't be afraid, just believe. It'll be healed. Because we've all lived enough life to know, man, healing doesn't always come. Resurrection doesn't always come. And I believe it's a, an, an inaccurate understanding. It sets us up for, for theological failure when, when we take that phrase and we put it onto every situation of life. No, I think the takeaway is, is the importance of us moving with the real Jesus in moments of real pain. Maybe you're not in a hard moment right now. Praise God for that, seriously. Life is good for you. You graduated college. You got a new friend group. Your house church is just crushing it. You got a new car. Like, praise God for the good things in your life. Don't just always walk around with the sadness. But the reality is that some people in this room, man, life is hard and there is pain. And so often when, when, when pain comes into our life, what happens is that we are tempted to heed the advice of this friend and to distance ourselves from Jesus, to, to quit walking with Jesus in the hard stuff. Man, that's so often when pain comes and our prayers don't get answered the way that we wanted, we're, we're disappointed and we're confused and our hearts are hurting. And guys, listen, sometimes healing and resurrection and restoration comes. And Jesus' life is proof of that. He didn't just show up and, and tell us, you know, good teaching and, 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 and kindness and say, hey, when I return, all these things are, are gonna change. No, he showed up and, and literally people were healed. And people were raised from the dead and, and there were things that he was doing, which means that he still desires to do those things. A lady in our church named Nancy, Nancy had cancer. Praying and praying, it was an aggressive cancer. Praying and praying and praying. I talked to her a couple weeks ago. God healed her. Praise the Lord. A friend of mine, man, he's running from God, hiding from God. God brought him back. Resurrection, restoration, healing. It's who our God is. But sometimes the pain persists. And that we would be people that walk with Jesus, the real Jesus, in the midst of the pain. That we would ask him. That we would lean on him. Almost six years ago, Courtney and I had a miscarriage. We had two children. She went to her 12-week appointment. Baby was not breathing. Heartbeat wasn't there. Absolutely devastating. And I remember coming into this room a week later and sitting right here and just weeping. Just 
hurting. My heart was just, just grieving for me, grieving for court, grieving for our family. And I remember this brother came up and he put his arm on my shoulder and he just starts praying. And instantly, I just get this picture of Jesus. And what I see Jesus doing is just grieving with me. Oh man, this is not what I intended, Brandon. Guys, sometimes he heals and sometimes he just sits with us. And we don't understand it. We don't understand his ways. We don't understand the, the way that he's working, Romans 8, 28, that he makes all things work together for the good of those who love him, but we trust him. And guys, in moments of pain, we, are, we, we, we live with this understanding that Jesus is a man who's familiar with suffering. One of my favorite things about Jesus is that he did not exempt himself from suffering. He entered it. Yeah, he knows what it's like to hurt, to lose a friend, to lose a father. Uh, he knows what it's like to, to pray something in the air, the answer be no. In the midst of our pain, we walk with Jesus, the real Jesus. And it doesn't make the things easier, but the company's much better. And it's not just this life, guys, our hope. We're crazy, followers of Jesus. We are absolutely crazy, but it's absolutely true that Jesus Christ one day is gonna return. He's going to return on the clouds. He's going to come back. And when he returns, do you know what the scriptures say about what happens when he returns? Death is destroyed forever. The enemy some of you guys don't even believe in the enemy. The enemy is completely bound and destroyed forever. Revelation 21, it says that Jesus himself will wipe every tear from your eye. When Jesus Christ returns, it says there will be no more suffering or mourning when Jesus returns. And in all the places of pain, we long for that day. When our prayers for Garrett don't seem to be answered the way that we want. We keep praying. We keep leaning into a God who heals. When life is hard, we keep praying. We keep asking for restoration, for transformation. He doesn't promise us that everything gets fixed in this life, but he does promise that it will in the age to come. So our hope is on the future. Our hope is on Jesus returning the one who is powerful enough, overturn death, stop death, comfort us, drive out the enemy. We can't do those things, not in fullness. And one day we will watch him do it. And we'll cheer and we'll rejoice as the one who died for you, who died for me, who took away our sins, who filled us with the spirit, wipes our tears says, well done, good and faithful servant. Way to keep pressing through. Come and reign with me. This morning, we're gonna take communion. We're gonna take the bread and the cup. We're gonna remember Jesus. We're gonna long for Jesus. Just one question. How is Jesus inviting you to experience him and his power this morning? How's he inviting you to take a step for some? Man, maybe it's a personal connection. Maybe he's inviting you to recommit to prioritizing him. Maybe you've, you've lost sight of just spending regular time with him. Maybe he's asking you to, to, to take a step back in, 
to pick up those disciplines, to put yourself in a place to encounter him. For others of you, maybe he's asking you to experience his power through, through embracing his pace, through being patient, through trusting, through asking God to open your eyes to the pain of others around you. For others of you, maybe he's inviting you to go from, from, a, public, from a private belief to a public declaration. Maybe he's inviting you to, to go all in with Jesus, to give your life to him in baptism. Maybe he's inviting you to step into freedom prayer to, to deal with some inaccurate beliefs that you have about him. Maybe for some of you, he's inviting you to embrace the walking with him through pain, to lean on him in the moment of pain in your life or to think about others in your life who are experiencing pain and who need your prayers. And so right now, I invite us to, to stand up. I'm gonna pray for us. If I get done praying, I invite you to go get a piece of bread, a cup of juice, and to come back with the people around you to really wrestle with how is the Lord inviting you to experience his power this morning. And so, Lord, thank you. Lord, I pray that if I said anything that's not from you, let it be forgotten and forgiven. The words from you would bear much fruit. And so meet us, Jesus. We need you, we love you. In your name we pray, amen. Love you all. Let's take communion now. Go grab a piece of bread, cup of juice, come back to your seat. Take it with the people around you.